to eat their meat or touch their carcasses. Of all the creatures living in the water, you may eat any that has fins and scales. But anything that does not have fins and scales, you may not eat. For you, it is unclean. You may eat any clean bird, but these you may not eat. The eagle, the vulture, the black vulture, the red kite, the black kite, any kind of falcon, any kind of raven, the horned owl, the screech owl, the gull, any kind of hawk, the little owl, the great owl, the white owl, the desert owl, the osprey, the cormorant, the stork, any kind of heron, the hoopoe, and the bat. All flying insects that swarm are unclean to you. Do not eat them. But any winged creature that is clean, you may eat. Do not eat anything you find already dead. You may give it to an alien living in any of your towns, and he may eat it. Or you may sell it to a foreigner. But you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And nothing... And through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And in Him was life. And that life was the light of man. And that light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it who, being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything in all of creation can separate us from the love of God just in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, there are some texts that just drip with the fruit of the gospel. They are the foundation of our faith, the bedrock of our belief. We, we write them on our hearts. We inform our prayers with them. They empower our pleas. We comfort each other with these texts. However, of those that chew the cud or that have a split hoof, completely divided, you may not eat the camel, the rabbit, or the coney. I'm pretty sure that very few of us have ever sat and and drawn comfort and contemplated the mystery, the pig is also unclean although it has a split hoof. I'm pretty sure very few of us have have said to one another, you're cooking the kid in the mother's milk. I mean, when 
when Jeremy called me uh, in the middle of the week and said he was feeling ill and, and that he didn't feel he was going to be up to preaching on this text, I thought, yeah, I bet you're feeling too sick to preach from this text. <laughs> right? I mean, there are texts, right? There's the Bible and then there's Scripture. So what are we to do with this? I mean, what are we to do with some of these bizarre statements? I'll tell you what we do. We rip it out. Right? We cut it out. We rip it from our Bibles. I mean, maybe we don't do it literally because we are concerned that you know, a second grade Sunday school teacher might you might draw their ire, but we rip it out. We blot it out. It no longer really is part of our Bible. You know, and we would be in good company to do so. Thomas Jefferson famously, right, ripped out everything from the Bible that had anything to do with the miraculous. Martin Luther, the great reformer, considered that the book of James should have no place in the canon. The first century heretic, Marcion, he took the entire Old Testament and ripped it out. And doesn't the New Testament almost give us warrant to do this? Christ, in in Mark 7, he pretty much nullifies this whole passage, all this teaching. God comes to Peter. We read about in Acts 10 about how all of these animals that are declared unclean, God comes to Peter and says they're now clean. The Jerusalem Council, the first church council, all the leaders gather together to discuss the very question of how Jewish does a follower of Christ have to be. Do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to follow these dietary codes? And the, the general consensus, the agreement was... They don't. Paul, in many of his letters, rages against this type of stuff as being necessary. So the New Testament seems to give warrant to us ripping it out. But before we do, before we rip it out of our Bibles, I'd like us to consider the text one more time. I'd like us to study it one more time. And then look at how Jesus also interprets it. And then let us decide if we should rip it out. Pastor Jeremy has been uh, leading us through the study of Deuteronomy. Through the study of this sermon that Moses gave uh, as the Israelites stood upon the threshold of entering into the land promised to them. A land, albeit currently occupied by Canaanites and other ancient Near East groups that worshipped idols, that engaged in cults that were so abominable that as the Israelites stood upon the threshold to enter into the promised land, for the Canaanites, judgment was at their doorstep. And, and as we've been looking at this sermon... We, we notice some 
patterns start to develop, some continual themes. And, and one of these themes is the election of Israel, of God, the Holy One, choosing out of His grace to have Israel be His people. And in this choice, there was formed a covenant. A covenant between God and the Israelites where God will be their God and they will be His people. Holy. Exclusively committed to Him. Obedient, faithful people. So we've been looking at this covenant. So it's no surprise to us as, as Moses begins to discuss the different dietary codes, the different prohibitions on on eating and other practices, that he begins with this very covenant. Look with me again at at verse 1 and verse 2 of chapter 14. You are the children of the Lord your God. Do not cut yourselves or shave the front of your heads for the dead, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be His treasure possession. You are the children of the Lord. You are a people holy to the Lord. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, you are His treasured possession. What it must have felt like to be an Israelite and to hear Moses say these words. And it's these words, this, this covenant relationship that undergirds and informs and supports everything that comes after that. All of these dietary codes. And what we find, what we find as we begin to look at some of these um, specifics is that they're not arbitrary. They don't come out of nowhere. They're not random. What we find is that many of the practices and and the foods and the animals that are prohibited have their root, have their base, have their origin in the cultic practices of of the Canaanites and of the ancient Near Eastern and Syrian peoples. Take, Take, for example, verse 1. Do not cut yourselves or shave the front of your heads for the dead. That is in direct opposition to a mourning practice, a practice of of grieving that we find in the ancient Near Eastern world where uh, those who are mourning the death of a loved one will self-mutilate or cut their heads in in, in attempts to appease the gods as a type of indulgence on behalf of the one who is dead. And so as we start to work through these different Prohibitions. what we find is, is this is God telling His people that holy and unholy don't mix. Holy and unholy don't mix. That they inform and instruct and they also protect the Israelites. They protect the Israelites from uh, adapting practices that are rooted in abomination. Holy and unholy don't mix. So it's not surprising that we find that many of these animals, the bat, the pig, the eel, 
that are deemed unclean. Well, they were treasured and prized and sacred animals within these cults of the Canaanites, of these people that they were coming into. Now, there may be um, some hygienic purposes, some health purposes on this list. That's been argued a little bit, although the evidence is somewhat slight. But giving sort of our context of what we know Moses is, is talking about in this covenant in Deuteronomy, we're really not surprised to see how this is working. You know, how this is working against these practices of, of these groups. Take, for, ex- for example, verse 21. Do not eat anything you find already dead. You may give it to an alien living in any of your towns, and he may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreigner, but you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Now this has to be more than simple hygiene, or else it makes the Israelites look like jerks, right? Because if something is considered unhealthy, and so it's don't eat it because it's unhealthy, you know that foreigner? And give to him. In fact, you can sell it to him. Right? It, it, it can't be hygiene and health. It has to be something more. This idea of do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk, that comes straight out of a, an ancient fertility practice that had a very bizarre view of the circle of life and trying to marry the two in this practice. So we look at these and we see that they're not random. They come out of a context of a holy God and a holy people. Holy and unholy don't mix. You can't simply put for God at the end of a practice and justify it. right? You can't engage in a business deal where you defraud someone and then take comfort by the fact you will tithe on your earnings. right? Holy and unholy don't mix. You can't go to a strip club. You can't go to a strip club and say, it's no big deal, I'm just admiring God's creation. No, you know, doesn't work. You can't start an affair and say, God has brought you into my life. I'm going to divorce my spouse and, and marry you. And I'm so glad for God's blessing. No. Holy and unholy don't mix. You can't put for God at the end of a sentence and somehow say it's okay. Just as the Israelites couldn't do one of these practices for God and say it's okay. In missions today, there's a uh, practice um, of going to uh, these other nations and when someone converts out of their uh, religion and into Christianity, there's this practice, this thought of allowing them to keep their symbols of their old belief and even keep their prayers of their old belief, but just take out the wrong God, take out Allah, put in Christ. And somehow that's okay now. It's very dangerous. You can't take something rooted against God and simply change the letterhead. 
holy and unholy don't mix. But you know, if I'm honest, I think about it. These are bizarre, but I kind of like them. Right? I kind of like the idea of operationally defining my holiness. I, I like the idea of having a, a piety that is measurable, manageable, controllable. I mean, this is how we orient our lives. Our supervisors, right? when it comes time for our performance evaluation, we want them to make their decisions based on clearly defined goals that are objective. We don't want to give them the power of a very subjective, fuzzy impression of how well we're doing. Our teachers, how do we evaluate them? How do we fund them based on how their students perform on a standardized test? We like to have our world measurable, public, and repeatable. We draw comfort from that. And so there's a part of me that draws comfort from having a holiness code, a way that I can plot on vectors how I'm doing. But this is how how legalism is birthed. This is how what begins and was intended to be a a manifestation of of a heart to God, of a holy covenant, what is intended to be an outpouring of, of the fruit of a devotion becomes the means and the manner by which we evaluate and measure. What It moves from obedience and into a human tradition, into a program where I can determine my betters, into a means which I can assemble and construct my righteousness. This is how legalism is birthed. I think the food metaphor works really well. We like the idea of taking prescribed ingredients, assembling it, a recipe and if we do it aright we can ingest holiness we do it we do it all the time we find ourselves saying things like how many times you read the bible this week how many times you pray this week we start measuring our holiness the elders have called us to fast for a day I fasted for two Right? We start inflating ourselves with this program. And we boast. I like the idea. You know, it's much easier. I'm not supposed to eat that? Okay. I'm supposed to eat this? Check. I'm supposed to go to church on certain days and say certain things? Okay. I commit a sin? I need to say X number of prayers in response? I can do that. I'm supposed to wear I'm supposed to dress. I'm supposed to come. I'm supposed to do everything in a prescribed check, check, okay, done. It's comforting. And if we do it, it's not surprising that the Israelites did that as well. That that occurred as well. And it is into sort of this this view, this scene, this constructed holiness that we get Jesus interpreting 
this passage. So put a bookmark here at Deuteronomy 14 and turn with me to Mark chapter 7. Page 998 in your pew Bible. We're going to start with verse 14. Mark chapter 7, beginning with verse 14. Give you some context. Uh, Jesus and the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders at the time, are having a, a debate, a conversation over the behavior of Jesus' disciples. And the Pharisees are accusing the disciples of failing to live up to the program established, which was supposedly to demonstrate and show one's devotion to God. So it's into this debate that, that Jesus speaks and, and comments on the, the laws we've looked at today. So Mark chapter 7, beginning with verse 14. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull? he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Jesus is right. I mean, He's spot on with this. I mean, I was thinking about this text. I was thinking about um, how, how right he is from a physiological procedural standpoint. I mean, it's no wonder he calls the disciples dull. Like when he begins by saying, listen to me, everyone, and understand this, nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. I mean, think with me on this. Think about food. When we eat something, what do we always do? We clean it, right? Food is always clean. We put it on a clean plate. We eat it with clean silverware. And unless you're a teenage boy, right, if food falls on the floor, you don't eat it, right? It's no longer clean. And really, if you, in terms of... Of our body, when we put anything in our body, it's always been cleaned. But when stuff comes out of our body, it's always a mess. We'll be watching a Red Sox game. And inevitably, you know, the, the picture on the screen will have a player. And the player always spits. And every time, like clockwork, every time after the player spits, my wife, Kim, goes, disgusting. Right? Every time. Earlier in the week, 
my younger son, Josiah, just had a knock-down, drag-out bout with a stomach bug. And, and the onset of it was, was incredible. Here's sort of the best way to describe it. I picture Josiah's stomach as a, you know, a theater, a party. All the little food bits are there. They're having a good time. They're sharing stories. They're, you know, friending each other on Facebook. They put in a movie. And it's great. And everyone's enjoying the film. And into the movie theater comes this punk of a virus bug who sneaks in and yells, Fire! And every food particle in panic goes as fast as it can out the nearest exit that's possible. Right? And so all of a sudden, Josiah turns from just like normal kid to just a tsunami. Uh, I mean, and you know what? I mean, what's awful about when a kid's sick? Yeah, you feel bad, kid's sick. It's the mess. It's the cleanup. Right? It's disgusting. It's filth. You know, when, when a baby's born, what do you do? The baby's born, you take the baby and you just hand it off to the nurse, right? Like, like giving your car to a detailer. You don't, you, don't, you don't care what happens, just clean all the cracks and crevices. I mean, it's, it's disgusting. I mean, Jesus is right. I mean, even if you think about it, what we put into our body is clean, but when anything comes out of the body, it's never cheap and cheerful. It's always just swamp. Of course, nothing is as contaminated, tainted, or spoiled as the rot that comes out of an unholy heart. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Give me the food laws. I can manage that. I can control that. Woe is me. Woe is me. Holy and unholy don't mix. And I look at this, I look at this, the evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Woe is me, for I am undone. Holiness and unholiness don't mix. You know, this list, at times it, 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 it actually feeds our appetites. This stuff that Jesus talks about, it, it can even for a moment taste sweet 
and seem fair. But it is foul. It is foul. It is nothing but the vomiting of an unclean heart from an unclean people. And we are all in it. There's not one of us who can boast of our cleanliness. Woe is me, for I am undone. Holy and unholy don't mix. And I am unclean. Be nice to get clean, though. Be nice to be clean. Is into this that the Word who was with God and who was God, that the Word became flesh. It is into this that He who was very nature God who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. It is into this that the Holy One became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And on that cross, all of my sin, all of my putrid rancid, disgusting, loathsome self was poured and coated the clean one. On the cross, the Holy One absorbed every drip of my unholiness. And holy and unholy can't mix. And on the cross, the cesspool of my unholy heart was obliterated. On the cross, Christ did what I could never do. Christ did what you could never do. On the cross, He got me clean. He gave me a new heart. He gave me a clean heart. He made me and He made you into a holy people. Do I sin? Yes. I do. Does wickedness still come? Yes. It does. And when I sin, I hate it. I hate it because I see it for what it is. I hate it. I see that it it still comes from the fact that There is still flesh. The remnants of the flesh are still here. 
when I sin, I hate it. And when we sin, we need to hold the gaze long enough to allow our holy heart to grieve. We need to hold the gaze long enough to grieve over that sin, but we don't stay there and despair. He who is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. He who is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is come. He who is in Christ, there is a new creation. Old is gone, the new has come. For we are His portion. For we are His children, a people holy unto the Lord. Out of all the nations on the face of the earth, He chose us to be His treasured possession. John 1, Philippians 2, Romans 8, Deuteronomy 14. Some passages just drip with the fruit of the Gospel. Would you please stand? And let's express thanks.